0: we Fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. It's been a while, um, notably since March 20th was my last episode that I uploaded. Um, yeah, I know you guys are probably uh, have been waiting for a little while, uh, just a little bit. Um, but I am back now. AP testing being the uh, the or just the end of the school year being crazy, uh, being the main reason why I haven't uploaded in almost 2 months so i apologize for that but i am back today so ready for another episode of rank amateur and uh, before we get into anything else i think we should get to the world of warships news and um well a lot has happened um it's kind of hard to um to to try and uh, piece all the stuff that has happened together um well italian destroyers are a thing now pan asian cruisers are now in the uh are now in the tech tree, um, I'm sure all of you have played in the past two months. so That's probably nothing new to you. Um, Hornets out. Uh, B25 bombers are a thing now, so that's that's cool. Uh, they take a long time to charge and everything, or to uh, reactivate and uh, rearm, but uh, they're they're pretty powerful. Let's just say on a tier eight carrier. Um, you know, other than that, I just got a miscellaneous things updates, visual improvements, snow buildup is now a thing. Um, we're getting ready to have French cr- new French cruisers into the uh, into the uh, tech tree, the basically just high-tier Dunkerks. Um, uh, Cheshire's back, that's new. Um, yeah, I don't even know why they're selling it again. It's not a good ship. <laughs> it is literally just a, gl- a-, a drake with less guns and an Albemarle hull, so why you'd ever want that, I don't know. I mean, it's got a really punchy main armament, but other than that, the ship sucks because it's an albermall. I, I literally free XP'd that ship because it's so bad. I spent like half a million free XP getting past that thing and the Drake. I mean, the Drake's not bad, but like, you know, I just wanted the Goliath. But, um, yeah, so that is, that is special. But, you know, I suppose I should probably mention what ship we're actually doing today. That would, uh, that wouldn't speed things along. The ship we're doing today is... The tier three premium British battleship HMS Dreadnought, and not necessarily because it has a, a commanding presence in game, but because it has a commanding presence in the development of one of the most significant types of warships in World of Warships, and that's the battleships. Uh, super ships are in random battles. Submarines are have made their comeback and are as annoying as ever. Uh, we've had the FR-25, uh, come into the game. Uh, the FR-25 is a Tier 7 Italian Destroyer. It, or it's a Tier 7 Premium Italian Destroyer. It is, um, the Gupard, uh, there's a Tier 6 French Destroyer in Italian service. has some buffs. It kind of looks like it might be okay. I haven't really looked into it that much. I mean, it has, it has sap, a really short firing range. It's kind of kind of typical of the italian destroyer line extremely short firing range okay concealment all right torpedoes amazing smoke amazing at close range guns that hit pretty hard i mean it is uh they, they are they're pretty potent but they have their niche they're really uh, like close brawlers they're essentially just a branch polo so it's kind of what we expected um and as of april 5th uh 2022 uh will the Warships suspend suspended its operations in Russia and Belarus, uh, transferring those operations to Lesta Studio, which is the original publisher, or not publisher, of developer of World of Warships based out of Russia. Um, And since then, we've actually, I I feel like we've seen some transparency come into the game a little bit more, uh, even more so than after the uh, community contributor walkout of August 2021. Um, I feel like this is going to be a good direction for the game to go, even though they're going to be taking significant losses. Um, Overall, I've been happy with the developers so far, and some other people haven't, and that's just their opinions. Um, their April Fool's thing this year, however, I feel it was kind of lame. Basically, they just kind of joked around how they're going to introduce a torpedo frenzy battle. Basically, just only torpedoes, and the torpedoes reload every five seconds is what the battle format was going to be. It was kind of an obvious April Fool's joke in my, in my mind, and I don't think it was super creative, but, you know, it was there. Wasn't as good as the Haberkirk Project, uh, April Fool's joke of uh, last year. The Haberkirk Project being the uh, basically iceberg aircraft carrier that uh, the UK was developing on the for first part of the Second World War until they were able to get escort carriers from the United States. Basically, they said this thing was going to move at, like, six knots in any direction, just be, like, a Landcast, uh, like a sitting Lancaster base with, like, 600,000 hit points or something like that. It was, it was super ridiculous, yet the problem was, at that point in World of Warships' existence, it was... It was... It was not super unbelievable for them to do something like that, because we're um, having uh, Soviet aircraft carriers being toyed with at that point, uh, I believe, or was that might have come later, but yeah, it was not a good, uh, time in World of Warships history. Oh, one minor thing I forgot, um, there was a new dockyard, uh, or there is a new dockyard going on right now, it's not very new right now, but it was, uh, this is the building of the Atlantico, um, it's gonna be that Brazilian tier 8 battleship, it's got all sorts of, it, it's got pretty crazy armor, um, It's pretty slow. It's your kind of typical dreadnought. It's it's a lot like the Kansas in a way, except the secondaries are absolutely insane because they're 234 millimeters in diameter. Yes, these are basically just Goliath guns that have been placed on this uh, Pan-American battleship. So it's got British main guns, uh, American AA guns, and it's being built in a British dockyard like the Brazilian ships were built. That is realistic. Uh, They were built in Britain, uh, in the Clydebank Dockyard, similar to the, uh, to the Marlborough of, uh, last year. Or I should say late last year. So, I mean, it's an interesting ship. I'm not going to be grinding up that, because, um, I mean, the Dockyard that I did last year was a ton of work, and I do not wish to have a full-time job on World of Warships. Something I do want to, um, bring attention to is uh, a post i saw on reddit and many of you may have seen this post as well uh this is r slash world of warships it was a person uh another one of these just we hate developers and everything that they do type of people um who uh was banned for or he was banned from for something he said in a private discord private discord not sanctioned by by wargaming but it did have wargaming employees in it um, a private discord and he was sanctioned or yeah, essentially sanctioned by world of warships He was banned from, from the game account locked everything like that He had put money into the account and they said he violated uh, their terms of service and that his account was terminated um, for what he said and Initially, there was this huge like or maybe not huge But there was a bit of outrage as to why World of warships would do this and then Wargaming responded and Wargaming responded in a very tactful, very polite way, very very professional. I forget um, uh, which community manager responded, but he said, "Hey, these these are the screenshots that we have from this Discord. Yes, we know we don't sanction this, uh, or we don't uh, specifically own this Discord or sponsor it or anything like that. Um, and we're saying that our ban is just because he tagged Bogsy in the in a um, certain." Post or a certain message in Discord. Post in Discord. No, they're messages. Thank you very much. Um, message in Discord, uh, threatening death upon several specific WarGaming employees because of something that he was mad about. So WarGaming said that's a violation of our uh, of our terms of service because you can't target our employees in any in a medium, and we're going to ban you for it. And they did. And he. This particular individual went to Reddit with screenshots saying apparently that they can ban you even if you're not in one of their official discords because of their terms of service. And, well, yes and no. I mean, if you directly threaten someone in the company, they're going to defend their employees. That's what a company does. I mean, generally a company does, unless something, unless their employee did something wrong, which they didn't. They're going to defend their employees, and uh, that means... If that means banning you, that means banning you. I mean, you shouldn't wish death upon someone for pretty much any reason whatsoever. I mean, there's like maybe like two reasons why you do that. And being uh, mad about a video game is like not one of them why i don't know the person got what he deserved um completely just action by world of warships and i'm glad that reddit finally was like hey this is this is not cool and i think there was a mod that pinned something down there basically the response that wargaming had and there was a lot of people who had uh posts that came after it saying imagine being like you know a person who is upset when they get punished for wishing death upon certain employees of world of warships i don't I don't get people sometimes, but at least uh, Reddit had a good response, and I just wanted to clear up some uh, misconfusion for those of you who maybe didn't read super far into what was going on there. Yes, that was not unjust action by World of Warships. It's in their, in their terms of service. You agree to it by purchasing something or even by playing the game. So, just say you no, know, don't wish death upon Wargaming employees. Or anybody. Um, yeah, but Wargaming said they're not, I mean, he's free to, to, you know, be a part of that Discord and say whatever he wants, he's just not gonna play World of Warships anymore, and that's that's just, I feel like we shouldn't have people in this, we don't need people in this game that are like that, and I don't want people in this game that are like that, so I, I just thought that was interesting, I came across it and usually Reddit has a super anti-developer reaction to that, but they're actually defending developers, so, interesting times we live in um, but let's get into the history of HMS Dreadnought, and I think I'm going to spend more on the the design aspect of HMS Dreadnought than the actual service of HMS uh, Dreadnought, just because of the fact that um, you know her design is what inspired the modern battleship. I mean, I say modern battleship, but. Battleships haven't been built in eight years, but uh, yes, what this, what um, inspired the latest iteration of battleships? Uh, and HMS Dreadnought, well, she was ordered in nineteen o five. She was built built at her her Majesty it would have been her Majesty or His Majesty. I think it's His Majesty's dockyard, uh, Portsmouth at the time um, uh, she was laid down on the 2nd of October 1905 launched on the 10th of February 1906 commissioned in, on December 2nd 1906, uh, 1906 and she had a displacement of 18120 long tons uh, this is normal load uh, and 20000 ton, 20, tons 20730 tons Um, deep load. And to put this into perspective, I believe this is uh, around the displacement of HMS, or HMS, USS Des Moines. And yes, I am correct. USS Des Moines fully loaded weighs in at 20,933 long tons versus the U.S. or the HMS, why am I getting these prefixes mixed up? Holy cow. Um, HMS dreadnought weighed 20,730 long tons So you got a few hundred tons short of USS Des Moines. Just shows you how how much uh, Warship development and size progressed over just you know, what was that 40 years? It's, it's pretty insane how rapid the naval advancement was at the beginning of... Or the first half of the 20th century. Maybe because, I don't know, there was like two world wars in that half of the century, if I recall. Anyways, let's get back to the... Um, specifications of HMS Dreadnought because that was really a long-winded way of saying this is a small battleship. She is only 527 feet long, or 160.6 meters. She has a beam of 82 feet 1 inches, so she's pretty short, but pretty wide. Um, 25 meters in beam for you metric system users. Uh, the draft was 29 feet 7.5 inches, or 9 meters. Uh, this was during deep load. She had installed power that consisted of 18 Babcock and Wilcox boilers for 23. 1000 shaft horsepower, which was unprecedented at the time, and she had a propulsion mechanism that was pretty unusual for the time. She had two steam turbine sets, uh, two t- steam turbines on either side, so you have four steam turbines and f- powering four shafts. She could make an unprecedented 21 knots. Now in the game we think of this as being a very pedestrian speed, but this was Blazing fast for the day. This would outrun anything that she was faced. Uh, She had a range of 6620 nautical miles at a speed of 10 knots, which was also pretty fast for the time. Uh, She had a complement of 700 in 1907, and this was upped in wartime to 810 by 1916. Uh, She was armed with five twin 12 inch or 305 millimeter British guns. Uh, She carried 27 single uh, 12 pounder or 76 millimeter, which is 3 inch guns, and she had five 18 inch uh, torpedo tubes. These would have been submerged and fixed in place. Uh, she had an armor or armor capacity on the belt of, or between four and eleven inches, or 102 to 279 uh, millimeters. Uh, she had deck plating that was anywhere between a, th- a three quarters of an inch to three inches thick, or 19 to 76 millimeters. Uh, she had turret barbets that had 4 inches to 11 inches, or 102 to 279 millimeters of armor. Uh, the turrets themselves had 3 inches to 12 inches armor, so 76 millimeters to 305 millimeters. The conning tower had 11 inches of armor, 279 millimeters. Man, they're really a fan of the 11-inch thick armor, aren't they? Uh, the bulkheads had 8 inches, or 203 millimeters of armor. Um, so yeah, I mean, she was a pretty tough ship, an all-around capable ship at the time, uh, and with her launch... Uh, she made every battleship that came out before, or came out, uh, was developed before her obsolete. Even battleships that were in the uh, British Royal Navy's dockyards obsolete. And there was actually good reason for this. So uh, the premise behind this is that gunnery developments in the 1890s and 1900s had you know, led guns to have extended ranges, often in excess of 5.5 kilometers, which we think is such a short range in World of Warships, but this was incredibly long-range, because at the time, you basically kind of, like, guessed where your guns were gonna go, you made some rough calculations, but you, it was more, a lot of the guns just had local fire control, they were just looking at where they are shooting, especially the smaller ones, and more or less just kind of shooting, and then adjusting, shooting and adjusting. That's more or less what they were doing. And you couldn't do this anymore, which made it necessary to have centralized fire control, which was developed but it was realized that the smaller caliber guns of pre-dreadnoughts, remember, pre-dreadnoughts had guns of all sorts of calibers. You had, like, your, your typical battleship would have about four 12-inch guns or 13-inch guns, and then you'd have a bunch of 203 millimeters, you'd have a bunch of 152s, and maybe some smaller ones mixed in there. And the reason why you had all those is to deal with various threats, right? And you also had the smaller ones to keep up the high rate of fire versus you had the larger ones to deal with your bigger threats and other battleships, which was pretty effective until it was realized that with centralized fire control it was hard to recognize the different splashes between the shells and this could be rectified later with uh you know dyed shell explosions and things like that but it hadn't been developed at the time so the smaller caliber guns would have to hold their fire to wait for the slower firing uh, heavy shells to land which kind of defeated the point of a rapid firing gun or it would you know You'd have to try and guess which uh, Shell Splash is which, because at range it's hard to tell, so it made gunfire control really unreliable, and pre-dreadnoughts at long ranges were really inaccurate. Uh, the Another problem that was arising was the fact that the torpedo had been developed by this time, and longer range torpedoes were starting to become a serious threat to battleships. So, it meant that engagement ranges would have to be pushed further back out of the range of torpedoes, and it meant that smaller caliber guns were going to be less effective because uh, they couldn't be ranged in properly. Um, So this... The... the smaller guns faster rate of fire would negate their advantages because they lose penetration and things over distance, and it's easier to mount a smaller gun to a smaller ship and have that ship be more n- maneuverable and able to engage at a closer range than put a battleship close to a destroyer squadron. So, uh, in 1903, the Italian naval architect Vittorio, uh, <laughs> Cuniberti, Uh, Cuneberti? I don't know. Uh, uh, the VC, we'll call him VC. Uh, VC first articulated uh, that you know we need an all-big-gun battleship. Essentially, what he meant is all these guns they had to be the same caliber, so we could tell, you know, it. Where it didn't matter what, um, you know, what gun splash was or what gun splash. We had the same shells, we had the same velocity, we were firing at the same angles. We could adjust the whole ship's. Um, and, or whole ships bearings and elevations and everything like that at the same time and it, we wouldn't have that problem so he essentially went to with his idea to the Italian Navy and they said well that's that's kind of stupid why we would do that because then we have a less versatile ship and they said no so then he articulated this idea in Jean, an article in Gene's fighting ships which is kind of like a sort of magazine more of a publication kind of like a, a, a reference book uh, for uh, Naval engineers and uh, enthusiasts, and it's still around today, actually. Um, He essentially illustrated the idea of an an ideal battleship, is what he called it. Um, It would be around 17,000 long tons, have a main battery of a dozen 12-inch guns and 8 turrets, 12 inches of belt armor, and a speed of 24 knots. Um, And then... So, essentially, the Royal Navy, the Imperial Japanese Navy, and the U.S. Navy realized that, uh, that yeah, he's probably right. And they had kind of started to come to this conclusion before uh, V.C. had, uh, you know, published his manuscripts. But they this kind of cemented their conclusions. And uh, the Royal Navy had modified the design of the Lord Nelson-class battleship uh, with the addition of 9.2-inch or 234mm guns that could fight at a long range, simmered to the main batteries. But they uh, they still kind of rejected the idea of having an all-big-gun battleship. It was still it was very new. It didn't make sense because you, you, you lose your versatility. The battleship was supposed to be the Swiss Army knife of the fleet, and if you took away a bunch of its different types of guns, then it would no longer be a Swiss Army knife. The defined role of a battleship hadn't really been cemented as a specific sort of long-range punch. It was more supposed to be the ship that you had in your navy that was uh, augmented by other ships, such as destroyers. The Imperial Japanese Navy laid down the IJN Satsuma uh, very quickly, actually. They realized that this this could um, help them out significantly in their, uh, not naval arms race, but their their naval catch-up, and industrial uh, game of catch-up with the uh, Western powers. So they laid it down, except gun shortages in Japan meant that it was basically a pre-draw, not because they had to replace uh, all but four of the 12-inch guns that were originally designed on the uh, Satsuma with smaller guns. So it was meant to be a Dreadnought-type battleship, but it was really a pre-Dreadnought. And the Americans had actually begun design on the South Carolina-class battleship in 1904, but the, pro- the, uh, the progress on the development proceeded so slowly because of, uh, I guess, misallocated resources in the U.S. Navy that it was not ordered until March 1906, and that was five months after the Dreadnought had been laid down, and it was nearly a month after she had been launched. So the Dreadnought was still the first Dreadnought that was actually uh, put on the Slipway. It wasn't um, the first one that was ever thought of or ever began construction, but it was the first true Dreadnought. So it still does deserve its role in on, on a technicality, though. So it's it's a little unclear as to who truly had the Dreadnought idea first. I mean, one could say it was the Japanese because they, you know, came up with it first. One could say it was the Italians because one of their designers came up with it first. Or one could say it was the Americans because they also began designing a true, like, dreadnought types, all all-center-line-mounted gun battleship. Or one could go with the traditional view. It is the dreadnought because it was the first one launched and entered service. Okay, so we got the gun arrangement uh, figured out. We're going to have all these, b- an all big gun arrangement because that would be more effective in the battleship kind of hard smacking punch roll. So. What about the propulsion? What was going to make this ship faster than its counterparts? What was going to make it comprehensively, so comprehensively superior to its counterparts that it would make them all obsolete? Well, here's where the steam turbine enters. Um, so, uh, Charles Parsons uh, was an Anglo-Irish engineer, essentially, who came up with this novel idea of the steam turbine in 1884. And it led, essentially, it made it so that you could run your engines faster without them ripping themselves to shreds because it's not a reciprocating steam turbine, remember at this time the first or reciprocating steam turbine, reciprocating steam engine, remember at this time steam engines looked like really big versions of internal combustion engines today and that meant at a high speed they would rattle and shake and things because you have this huge part that's moving back and forth and back and forth versus a steam turbine is just a rotation so you can run it at very high speeds with pretty high reliability, unless you're American, you don't know how to build steam turbines. Um, they they would take until the mid 1920s to figure out how to do that. Um, so essentially, no one believed him when he's when Parsons said, "Hey, this is like an invention that can revolutionize naval technology." No one believed him, so he took this unauthorized, uh, at the time I believe classified technology of the Royal Navy. Slammed it into his yacht, uh, turbina and was like, you know, hey, it's cool because it goes 34 knots. And he was essentially just cruising around at Queen Victoria's J- Diamond and Jubilee and Spithead in the Spithead Naval Review, just cruising around at 34 knots, which was like the fastest uh, a watercraft had ever gone at that time. And, and everyone's like, hey, it works. So the Royal Navy authorized um, the trials of two turbine turbine-powered destroyers, the Viper and the Cobra. Um, and they, you know, had lots of different successes with these, uh, two destroyers and some small passenger ships that had, uh, turbines, so they gave it the go-ahead, basically hit the scale-up button on the turbines a few times, and decided to bolt them into the, uh, dreadnought, and see what happens, and turns out that it was, uh, was pretty successful. But even still, with these two inventions that we've already gone over in development and possibly being put into the newest British warship on the yet-to-be-named HMS Dreadnought, they were- the Royal Navy Admiralty was still not super confident about these radical new technologies. I mean, typically people like to slowly implement technologies, and Admiral Fisher was- he was essentially advocating radical change. So they needed more proof to really cement their ideas about the Dreadnought. So this came in the form of the Battle of the Yellow Sea and the Battle of Tsushima. Uh, as they were analyzed by Fisher's committee on basically whether or not to build the Dreadnought the way it was, uh, Captain William Park uh, uh, Pakenham's statement uh, that 12-inch gunfire by both sides comprehensively outclassed um, the uh, 10-inch gunfire, in both of terms of hitting power and accuracy, uh, it was decided that 12-inch gunfire would probably be, or 12-inch guns would probably be the ideal guns to fit onto their new battleship. So, with that confirmed, they realized that Admiral Togo had uh, been able to cross the Russian's T due to speed, and essentially crossing the T was um, uh, basically, your enemy's uh, line of ships would be facing your like at perpendicular to your line. Your line curves around the uh, the lead ship of the enemy's line and is able to pour gunfire on the enemy ships because your broadside, they're not. And even though that seems counterintuitive in World of Warships, way back when everyone had the same amount of armor and none nobody shells at any penetrating power at all, that is how it worked. Um, so it seemed like it w- you were going to need something to be fast, you were going to need something to be powerful. And this is sort of the train of thought that led to the development of the battlecruiser later on. But for now, it was just going to develop a battleship. And this, in combination with long-range uh, engagements, 13,000 13, 13, meters, 13 kilometers, was unprecedented. It had not been seen by any Navy beforehand. And it was realized that we were going to need, or they were going to need, a battleship that was like what we got in the Dreadnoughts. So Admiral Fisher began proposing designs for a battleship with uniform armament in the early 1900s, uh, right around the time of the Battle of Tsushima, when he had gathered his uh, information and uh, intelligence about what had happened in the... uh, uh, the Russo-Japanese War of uh, 1905. And it was pretty clear by this point that they were gonna need a ship that had decent armor, very good guns, centralized fire control, and a high top speed that was gonna be provided by by boilers connected to the steam turbines rather than reciprocating steam engines. So this was clear, the ship was laid down and was produced. And boy, was she spectacular. This ship had all the new technologies, all these newfangled devices, such as uh, gyroscope-stabilized mounts, new fire control systems, all sorts of mechanical computers. Um, And then you also had new armor schemes. Uh, Contrary to popular belief in World of Warships, most ships had turtleback armor. Actually, I don't want to say most ships, but a lot of ships had turtleback armor. Um... In fact, the Dreadnought had a 68mm, slightly sloped turtleback armor. Um, This was in complement with her 203mm main plating on the... uh, or just above the waterline and at the waterline had a 279mm plating. Uh, She did not carry torpedo protection, but her coal bunkers provided space armor uh, to her citadel. So this was... this was the... this was the ship to have in uh, this time period. And it was so successful that the German Navy started scrambling to get a Dreadnought-type battleship into service, and that came in the form of the Nassau, uh, which was commissioned, oh, jeez, I think 1909 was the year. And it, uh, for the Americans, it came in the form of the South Carolinas. The Japanese, I forget which one it was, but they also commissioned one pretty soon afterwards. Uh, the, the Italians had the, uh, the Dante Alighieri, I think it's how you pronounce it on all tier four and World of Warships. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, it was it was a quick response by most navies, unless you're French, because the French are slow at building things. Sorry, people who are in France. It's just true. Um, and it was truly revolutionary. Uh, This ship was the kind of go-anywhere-do-anything sort of battleship, and it scared the world. Um, I mean, she could sink anything with her big guns and anything that approached her underneath her big guns, the 12-inchers. She could rip to shreds with her 76mm, which were conveniently mounted on top of uh, all her turrets to deal with torpedo boats. And she had the speed to catch anything that she wanted to fight, and she could run away from anything she didn't want to fight. But uh, her design did not match her career. She uh, she she did not have an illustrious career. Basically, she was a flagship for a long time until she was replaced as the flagship. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say a long time. She was a flagship for was it. That would have been five years, and then she was replaced as the flagship of the Home Fleet by Neptune in March 1911, and then assigned back to the First Division of the Home Fleet, but not the flagship. Uh, she participated in King George V's uh, Coronation Fleet Review in June 1911, became flagship of the First 4th Battle Squadron in 1912. Um, she was a flagship of the 4th Battle squ- Squadron in the North Sea at the outbreak of the First World War in 1940, or 1914, excuse me, based at Scapa Flow, uh, she was relieved as flagship by H.M.S. Benbow, which was an Iron Duke class. Uh, somewhat ironically, for a ship that was designed to uh, engage pretty much exclusively enemy surface combatants and especially large warships, she was essentially designed as a battleship killer. When she was uh, when she was launched, um, she was the only battleship in World War 1 or i believe one of the only battleships maybe USS Arizona no was did USS New York sink a submarine i don't know i forget uh, it's probably in one of my other episodes you could watch it or listen to it but she sank the german submarine U29 um and she was one of the only one of the only battleships to ever sink a submarine and i believe the only one in the first world war on the 18th of march 1915 uh basically uh, she had broken, the 29 had broken the surface after, uh, she fired a torpedo HMS Neptune, and she was, like, right in front of HMS Dreadnought, and, uh, basically HMS Dreadnought's, like, ramming speed and cut the submarine in two after a short chase. Uh, she almost collided with a, um, uh, class battleship when attempting to ram the submarine, as the, uh, battleship was also attempting to ram the submarine, but, um... You know uh, that is that is what happened. Actually, you know what the um, USS New York I think it was accidentally sank a submarine when it uh, just collided with it. Versus the Dreadnought intentionally sank the submarine with her uh, semi-ramming bow. I mean, it's kind of a ramming bow. It looked like a ramming bow, it really wasn't, but it kind of looked like it. So um, she missed the Battle of Jutland fourteen uh, on. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, because she was refitting from the 18th of April to the 22nd of June, 1916, uh, missed the battle Jutton, which occurred on the 31st of May. Um, yeah, and in 1920, she was uh, put up for sale, having been uh, basically decommissioned in 1918. Uh, she had been recommissioned in 1919 as the tender HMS Hercules to act as a parent ship for the reserve uh, fleets, but she was sold for scrap on May 19th May 9th, 1921 as one of the 113 ships that the firm uh, T.W. Ward purchased at a rate of 2 pounds per ton so yeah, not very significant although something that was kind of interesting not combat related that did happen was uh, in 1910 H.M.S. Dreadnought attracted the attention of uh, the hoaxer William or William Horace de Vercole Um, who essentially persuaded the Royal Navy to arrange for a party of Abenecian royals to be given a tour of the ship. And Abeneci, or Abenecia is basically just Ethiopia, or is now Ethiopia, um, to be given a tour of the ship. Uh, they were basically just, uh, Cole's friends in blackface and in disguise. Um, so yeah, really racist at the time, but, or really racist at any time, but, um, yeah, so they were given a tour of the ship, and it was known as the Dreadnought Hoax, which is um, kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, how times have changed with race, changed for the better. That is um, sort of interesting. Is that similar to HM or HMS USS uh, Arizona stowaway problem that they had? Uh, if you don't know what that is, you should go check out my USS Arizona uh, podcast, which is from I don't know, sometime last year. Check like summer last year. Anyways, let's get into the World of Warships section of this episode on HMS Dreadnought. This part of the episode is going to be pretty quick. I will have to admit, it's a Tier 3 battleship. I don't know what you guys expect. I mean, all Tier 3 battleships play pretty much the same. I mean, Dreadnought's got better high explosive than most of them, and a sick camouflage, especially if you got it in the winter event like I did, so you have a Christmas camouflage. Um, but, I mean, she's she's... Pretty good, I would say. I mean, I'm satisfied with her. The turret rotation's atrocious, but she performs pretty well. Um, she's got a... Her, her main battery, she has a 10 305mm uh, 45 caliber Mark 10 guns on a B8 mount. They have a range of 13.68 kilometers. A reload time of your standard 30 seconds. 180 degree turn time of a pretty, pretty slow 60 seconds. Uh, they have an accuracy, not great, Sigma of 1.8. Maximum dispersion of 197 meters at 13.68 kilometers. Yes, it's a Tier 3 battleship. It's more accurate, I believe, than Kawachi, but not by much. Maximum dispersion vertical is 119 meters. Shellfire, 305mm HE Mark IIA shells. They have a raw DPM of... Uh, Oh, this is the HE shell, by the way. They have raw DPM 104,000, maximum damage of 5,200. Yes, we're talking about cruiser levels of damage, or just above cruiser levels of damage. I mean, not even goliath levels of damage, I believe. Um... Uh, initial shell velocity of 831 meters a second, so a little on the slow side. Not not as slow as some American shells, but still so pretty slow. 386 kilogram shells, really light shells. Uh, depth explosion, in standard 3 meters. HE penetration of just 76 millimeters. Uh, burn probability of 32%. The AP shells, 305 millimeter Mark uh, 6A shells. Uh, they have 162,000 DPM, 8,100 maximum damage, 831 millimeters. Meters second velocity, 390 kilogram weight, a little heavier than HE shells. Depth explosion standard one millimeter, overmatch 21 millimeters. Threshold arming uh, arming threshold of uh, 51 millimeters, uh, and a shortened fuse timer of just 0.015 seconds. Uh, the gun firing angles pretty atrocious. Uh, I'm not going to lie, it's British gun firing angles. I mean, some of these guns have good firing angles, uh, a lot of them don't. Secretary Armament's kind of a joke, so we're not even going to go over that. Survivability, uh, I believe it has better survivability than the Bus Unitas, which is a Tier 5 battleship with 37,400 hit points on the Dreadnought. Fires burn for 60 seconds. they are standard battleship fire burn times. Uh, you're going to have four fires maximum. Probability reduction of just 3.3%. Yes, you get set on fire a lot in this battleship. Uh, damage per second is 112, so 6,000 damage per fire. Flooding, 40 second duration. Two maximum probability reduction is, or uh, yeah, probably probability reduction is 29% damage reduction. Uh, on the torpedoes is going to be 13%, so we're still really not good. Remember, I said it doesn't have torpedo bulges. Uh, damage per second per flood is going to be 180. Uh, 187 total damage per flood is 7,480. Yes, uh, floods hurt in the ship pretty bad. So does uh, fires. Concealment 11.89 kilometers. Uh, f- smoke firing penalty is th- 9.37 fire. Uh, 9.37 kilometers. Geez, and one on fire is 13.89 kilometers, which is longer than your maximum main battery gun range. Interestingly enough. Detectability by air is 6.96 kilometers. Your maximum speed is 21 knots. Standard acceleration here. Uh, Horsepower ratio is 1.05 horsepower per ton. So yeah, not a whole lot of torque on there. Uh, Turning circular radius is 520 meters, which is excellent for a battleship. This thing turns on a dime. And the rudder shift time is also pretty swift, 11.6 seconds. Uh, You're gonna have standard damage control party, which is gonna be unlimited charges, 80 second cooldowns, 50 second action time. Repair party is also standard. Consumables is going to be four HP per second. Is zero point or is not point five? Uh, reload time is eighty seconds. Consumable action time is twenty-eight seconds. It's like a high-tier cruiser heal essentially. Uh, for upgrades, you're going to go main armaments mod one. Then you're going to go either you know, you'll go damage control system modification one on the second slot. Uh, captain skills. Um, you could, I would go with gun feeder in that first slide. You could go with preventative maintenance or emergency repair specialist. Um, I just do that because sometimes you use high explosive in this uh, ship, or actually a lot of times you do it because the armor piercing, especially when dealing with other battleships, is kind of lackluster because of that shortened fuse timer. Uh, you use grease the gears in that second skill. Um... You could go with priority to Target or uh, Vigilance for the Torpedo Protection, Damage Reduction, but I really suggest Grease the Gears. Um, adrenaline Rush and then Concealment Experts or Emergency Repair Experts, whatever you feel like you want to use on your British battleships, because realistically this is just a Captain Trainer and a Port Queen probably for most of you, because unless you're just having a bad night and you want to go seal clubbing down in Tier 3 with the new players, uh, you know everyone does it at least once in a while um and you could go with improved uh repair party readiness you could go with basics of survivability actually i go with basics of survivability first um and close quarters combat could be useful because uh ranges in tier 3 are pretty close Um, or you could go with Vigilance, uh, if you want to loop back around and pick that skill up. Uh, It's, it really, this is kind of the ship to experiment with Captain Builds. Um, flags, you can go Juliet Charlie for Zero Magazine Explosions, uh, India Delta for Enhanced Repair, Sierra Mike for The Speed, November Foxtrot for Consumable Reload, and you could go with the Fire Chance flags if you want to. Um, but that's pretty much it. Oh, and the, you could also go with Fire and Flood, uh, flags, but... I mean, it's Tier 3, I don't know if I really, like, waste your flags on Tier 3, unless you just have a ton of them. But, that's it for the setup for HMS Drownauts. So, how do you play this ship? I mean, it's the most basic playstyle I think you can have in a World of Warships. I mean, you go to a flank, and if it's bad, you turn around and kite. If it's good, you push. And, you absorb damage because you're a battleship, and you support your team. I mean, it's Tier 3, how complicated does it really get? (laughs) Not really, because most people playing co-op at Tier 3, especially the new players, and uh, Tier 3 random battles take like 20 minutes to fill up. So, I mean, I have this ship. I've played it a few times. It's cool. It's nice. You know, if you get it for an event, that's awesome. Wouldn't really recommend buying buying it unless you're just really into naval history and that's just what you want. Um, Other than that, I mean, yes, cool ship. Works well. I mean, works as advertised. No gimmicks. It's solid, but it's Tier 3, so... You know, there's that. But that pretty much concludes my episode on HMS Dreadnought. You know, really simple play style. If you're outnumbered, you turn around. If you aren't, you push. That's that's the playstyle with this ship. Um, I mean, hope you liked the uh, the history of this ship, as it is the most interesting part, or, well, the design history of the ship is the most interesting part of its service and in World of Warships. Um, and I will be more than happy to take suggestions, comments, concerns, questions um, in my email, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I hope to be back in uh, the next fortnight. Um, other than that, I mean fortnight as in a period of two weeks, not fortnight the game. Yes, uh, you know, I, I knew I was going to get emails about that if didn't specify. Anyways, I hope you liked this episode after a long hiatus from my production, and until next time, captains!